1: the story. So we had an idea just to climb up this waterfall and jump off and we were running out jumping off and when I did my second attempt I slipped as I was going out like jumping out and I lost my footing and if I hit the rock wall I would have probably bounced and been fine if I was probably another foot out I maybe wouldn't have hit the shallow sand but unfortunately I came straight down like a pole and that's when your your vertebrae collide and that breaks your vertebrae.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Glenn Cairns was 19 years old and living in Papua New Guinea when a tragic event occurred that changed his life forever. Today, Glenn joins us from his home in Orange, New South Wales to share his incredible story and how, despite numerous setbacks and huge challenges, he just keeps on serving the Lord and serving others in remarkable ways. Glenn is having a chat with Eric Scatterbone. Glenn Cairns, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me,
2: Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to hear about that tragic event that occurred in Papua New Guinea when you were 19 years old. But before we get to that, let's find out a little bit about your background. Where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Sydney and uh, moved to Tweed Heads. So I grew up in Tweed Heads, New South Wales. So it's right on the border of Queensland and New South Wales. So very parochial New South Wales supporter. <laughs> So. And what was your childhood like? Uh, so I've got four brothers. I'm fourth in the line of five boys. So I had a beautiful mum, grew up in a Catholic church, went to a Catholic school predominantly. And uh, so I grew up surfing and fishing. My dad was a, an avid fisher, so we'd go out in the ocean fishing. So that's how I sort of grew up, with four wild brothers and, <laughs> and, uh, and an adventurous father and a, and a lovely mum. So I had a quite a beautiful family. And, uh, yeah, beautiful place to grow up. And were you involved in sports as a youngster? Yeah, yeah. I was started playing rugby league when I was four, I think my mother told me. Mm-hmm. So I was a sports fanatic. And anything sports-related, I I absolutely loved it. I've actually grown up a bit, and I think sports are a bit overrated. But anyway, I, I that was my passion, just sports and doing exciting things. And did you have visions of one day becoming a sports star? Yeah, that was pretty much my whole life was wanting. Uh, so our school made the state final, and so we were pretty much like rock stars walking around the school. So Oh, wow. Yeah, we were rock stars because they'd just shut down the whole school pretty much so they could come and watch us play, so pretty much the whole school. And at the time, we were the biggest school in New South Wales, so it was quite a, quite a big state school. Um, I was in the top 15 in the school, so we... We made the state final out of that, and so it was a big year. And I think there was three in our team that were Australian schoolboys, and a few of my friends from that team went on and played in the NRL. Oh, wow. So So the sky was the
2: limit for you if you really pursued it.
1: Yeah, I was still growing at that stage, so I still had a bit of hope. But common sense was starting to kick in, and I saw a few people get some pretty serious injuries, and uh, so common sense actually prevailed. That's why I went up to Papua New Guinea, To finish off my schooling. Yeah, why Uh, were you going up to Papua New Guinea? Yeah, so I dropped out of school a few times uh, because football was the number one priority in my list of things to do. And then I actually thought I'd better finish my HSC off. So my parents moved up to Papua New Guinea. And I couldn't get a trade at the time in Tweet Ads because that was the recession we had to have through Paul Keating. I would have been a tradesman for sure. I was really Mm -hmm. good with my hands. Mm Mm-hmm. Grew up on uh, work sites. All my brothers are refrigeration mechanics and carpenters. My dad's a refrigeration mechanic, so that's why he was up in Papua New Guinea. Oh, I was going to uh, say, yeah. What brought your parents up to PNG? Yeah, so he lost his all the work in during that recession, so he ended up getting a, a really good job up in Papua New Guinea, running a refrigeration company or mm-hmm. managing one. Yep, it was quite hard when they left. I lived with my grandma for a while. She was a beautiful lady, so she took me in. But it was just too hard to, I didn't have the stability to do my HSC there. So I took off up to New Guinea to um, try and finalize that. Okay. How was life living up there? Yeah, it was a, it was a big change, Papua New Guinea. So the tropics, yeah. I was around water still and coral reefs are amazing. It's a pretty wild country. Um, as my dad would put it, you're either a mercenary or a missionary. Huh. Um, so you're up there to make money. What did money, he mean by you. that? Ah, uh, yeah, he's up there to serve God or serve money. I guess <laughs> in, in his funny way he would say that he made it very clear he's up there to make money and the keener back then was a dollar fifty Australian. so he was actually on a really good wage when you converted it into Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. so they we had a a house we lived in and it was really like they have not servants in a way, but pay they are servants in a way because mm-hmm. they' paid very very poorly, but and my mother didn't want it so actually, Culturally, for me, it was a, a real eye-opener. I wasn't a Christian at the time, mm-hmm. but it did have um, a big impact on, on my life that I, I became very grateful for what we have in Australia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, they're a very poor country, mm-hmm. and in a sense, we were living like millionaires. So, you'd walk out of the shopping center with a big basket full of groceries, and they're walking out with a, a packet of rice and mm. a tin of tuna. So, it did have a big impact on me. Yeah living up there, and my, my mum wanted to, she didn't want to have, have any servants, so to speak, Or so my, my dad said, well, if we don't employ them, the company actually employed them to look after the house, and so they would have been on the street otherwise, so, and that was a big eye-opener as well, and I actually used to go out and talk to them and, and spend some time with them, and they just had a concrete floor that they lived on and slept in, it's just a very horrible sort of, up in New Guinea, that was actually upper class for them, Mm. So, yeah. It, so, very eye
2: opening for a young man to see all this, yeah, be exposed yeah, it to it.
1: Yeah. I wish a lot of young, even my kids, I wish my kids could have gone in and experienced something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just be grateful for what we have in Australia. So, you're living in Papua New Guinea
2: at the time and maturing and growing as a human being. Uh, and then tragedy strikes. Take us back to what happened.
1: Yeah. So, I, I was going to school. So, Probably before that, leading up to that, I got caught up with the missionary kids, so they just kept loving me. I grew up Catholic, Mm -hmm. sort of very staunch Catholic upbringing, and I'm suddenly confronted with these um, missionary kids who have a very good grasp of the Bible and what salvation is all about, and so I would argue with them nearly on a daily basis. Oh, wow. And they just kept loving me, and so that was my sort of school in my year 11. I actually finished year 11, finally. But they just kept loving me. I ended up going to a youth group with them, and they used to make um, the best chocolate cake I've ever had in my <laughs> in my life. And and um, they were very very nice um, young girls and and very friendly. So I wasn't it wasn't anything untoward. But mm-hmm. just the attraction that they just kept loving me and I mm-hmm. kept. Gro- I used to go home and lay on my bed at night thinking about the things they used to say, and I'd dream up another um argumentative um thing to throw at them the next day and they just kept loving me and answering my questions and Mm. so yeah and then december 87 i finally finished year 11 so we went off to celebrate that big occasion Mm -hmm. and so we sailed from lay Papua new guinea uh it it was about an hour sail so one of my mates had a his father had a sailboat in Papua New Guinea, most of the people, they all had boats. My father had a boat. So boats were a big thing in, in our lifestyle up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we sailed over to this waterfall. And it was a big hike to the waterfall. So we we decided to jump in the boat. And we all decided to go ahead. There was about six six young men. And uh, we got to the waterfall. And as we was quite hot up there, when we, I don't know if anyone's been in the tropics, it's the humidity and the heat. Oh yeah, so the water, wa- Yeah, and the water running down from the mountains was it was really icy cold actually, yeah. so it was co- beautiful just to dive in there, and so we had an idea just to climb up this waterfall and jump off, as we did, and we were running out and jumping off, and um, when I did my second attempt, I slipped as I was going out, like jumping out, and I lost my footing, and I virtually landed, if anyone's walked behind a waterfall, the waterfall, when it flows down, it was quite deep where the waterfall hit. But there was this that shallow sand between the rock wall and the waterfall. So I was oh. up probably maybe 30 feet up in the air What we were launching ourselves out. And if I hit the rock wall, I would have probably bounced and been fine. If I was probably another foot out, I maybe wouldn't have hit the shallow sand. Uh, so there's all those ifs in there. Yeah. And, but yeah. unfortunately, I came straight down like a pole. And that's when your, your vertebrae collide and that breaks your vertebrae.
2: You weren't able to jump far enough out to get away from that shallow part.
1: Yeah, when I lost my footing, oh, okay. I, I yeah. sort of went in, into a tumble and I just, the way I put it is, you just land the perfect place to break your neck. So pretty much you hyperextend your neck forwards, mm-hmm. toward, like your chin towards your chest. And that's what breaks the vertebrae in your spine. So I broke C5 and C6. So if anyone knows the cervical spine, that's the two above the big bony one in your neck. Mm-hmm. The big bony one's the C7. So I broke the tube vertebrae above that. So mm-hmm. they pretty much class me as a C6 tetraplegic. That's a medical terminology.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Glenn Cairns from Orange, who's sharing his incredible life journey. We just heard how a tragic accident in Papua New Guinea has changed his life forever, However, as we'll hear, there's much more to Glenn's story as God has much more in store for him. We'll find out what happens next in Glenn's life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is Glenn Cairns from Orange in New South Wales. Sadly, as we heard before the break, tragedy occurred in Papua New Guinea when Glenn and his mates decided to jump into the water next to a waterfall from about 30 feet high. As Glenn said, he lost his footing when it was his turn and he wasn't able to jump far enough away from the shallow part on the side. He ended up landing at the worst possible spot and broke his neck. Now, Glenn shares what happens next. So
2: you're injured, very seriously injured, in this pool of water. How did you get out
1: of there? I was floating face down in the water, and it was quite cold, actually. So I've come up straight away knowing I, I couldn't move anything. So I knew something really bad was wrong. So I was conscious. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember heating the sand and I came up and I was about to drown in, in a sense. I ran out of the oxygen, so I was about to ingest the water. Mm. But fortunately my friends they actually thought I was playing a prank on them. Oh, so they, they were sort of sitting back watching and then I think they twigged that something was wrong. so they just turned me over in time because that, that would have been pretty fatal actually. Oh wow if I ingested yeah. a lot of water in my lungs. So they did all the right things. Weirdly, I just can't explain, maybe all subconsciously watching movies, medical movies. They knew you had to wrap a towel around my neck and and keep me stable. So they kept me in the water, but the water was quite cold and I was getting very cold very quickly. So they got a plank of wood and lifted me out. And then um, they had to radio someone, so someone ran off to get a radio call out because everyone knew it was pretty serious. So eventually some medical help arrived? Yeah, they got to the, the yacht and fortunately there was another yacht had pulled up and yeah, the lady on the yacht was a, a nurse. So they had a stretcher on the yacht. So they brought the stretcher along with them and they got the radio call out to my father. Yeah, another fortunate thing was my father's best friend. He used to manage the helicopter business over there. The, mm-hmm. They stretched me, long story short, they stretched me to the shore um, which was a pretty big hike, and the helicopter picked me up and got me into the lay hospital, where they actually put me in traction in, in the lay hospital. And then, what, several months recovery? They have had to fly me out because of the severity of my injury. It's a funny story because the room I was put in, the school we volunteered to paint the hospital as a charity sort of type thing. Mm-hmm. I ended up in the room that I actually painted. Is that at, right? At the walls. Yeah, huh? oh, wow. and because uh, buai I don't know if anyone who's been up in uh, they chew Bouai a lot, and uh, the lime I think they add to it turns red, and they spit it everywhere. And my mother was um, quite horrified by the the care up there. I just, they just haven't got the money to put in their medical system. And the helicopter pilot's wife was a doctor, so I had immediate care straight away. Mm-hmm. So they were putting calls out to try and get me. Out, out. They knew they had to get me out of Papua New Guinea, other, otherwise I would have died. Hmm. Um, so they were trying desperately, to, they were ringing the Air Force to see if they could do a medical evacuation. So they ended up getting a company in based in Townsville, I, I don't remember the name of the company, but they, they, so they flew me out of Papua New Guinea that night, so I had to get out pretty quick. And they, I ended up in Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, so the next early, really early the next morning.
2: Wow, so that in itself was quite amazing and miraculous that you were able to go from PNG to Australia and get very good medical care right away.
1: Yeah, I was very um, fortunate to have that because my mum. This is a funny story. My mum came in. My mum's a clean, cleany person. Like with my huh. boys, obviously, <laughs> she's got to be very clean. Um, so when she saw the the evacuation team put clean sheets on me, she actually just that gives that thought she thought I was going to be in good care from there on. So it put her at ease that all these sterile sheets were coming out. And the do- they're, they're an amazing team that flew up from um, Townsville. They were just a really amazing bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And if they're actually listening, I've I never got a chance to thank them. They're, they're just an amazing bunch. Mm-hmm. Just that flight back from New it was quite bumpy. And I guess they had to give me pain medication uh, to ease the pain of the broken bones, but not sedate me enough that i mm-hmm. lose consciousness i guess and this is in the 1980s at the time of
2: this tragic yeah incident. De-
1: december 87
2: okay so then your life changed forever because you were no longer able to walk after that
1: yeah so i was in so they put me like in in a t- intensive so it was a spinal ward in princess alexandra hospital it was a brand new spinal ward unfortunately um, so it was quite clean and, and up to date with all its technology so it's like an ICU for spinal patients, mm-hmm. and um, so you're in traction. They actually drill holes in the side of your skull. Um, oh, wow. yeah, they do it differently now, and they hang weights. So they put like I don't know the best way I can explain it, like a big ice clamp, like uh, and so it goes into your skull. Like little pins go into your skull. Mm-hmm. See, so I actually remember the mechanical drill they used. I could I can still feel the mechanics going oh, boy. into my skull. Yeah, oh, so wow. they drill a few mil into your skull and then they put the the clamp in and then they hang weights off that clamp. So you imagine yourself lying on on your back and you've got these weights hanging off and that that's so they can spread the vertebrae. Uh, so in traction they call it. So and then I'm on a bed that flips side to side to stop any pressure sores. All oh, right. So it was very very confronting and um, there was people old age um, mainly men have spinal injuries because they're climbing ladders and And doing like climbing waterfalls and all Mm -hmm. those sort of things that young men do. Um, So a lot of builders would break their backs falling on ladders. And so I think there was about six people died while I was in hospital Mm. in that ICU. Yeah. So hearing that the sound of the that line that you know the the line of the ECG or the yeah that sound Mm. and nurses rushing around. It was quite a very scary place to be. Yeah. As a 19 year old. Yeah.
2: Yeah, 19 years old, hearing people dying yeah, in the same room with you. Yeah, it was it mm. was very confronting. So you can use your arms, but feeling stops, what,
1: from the chest down? Is that right? Yeah, pretty much um, around sort of nipple height, mm-hmm. about there, yeah, chest. And then only muscles I have in my arms are sort of shoulder muscles. Mm-hmm. And I've got one muscle in my forearm, which is a wrist extensor. So I can pull my wrists back. And no finger function yeah and getting used to not feeling parts of your hand and your arms is, is, is like I used to burn myself unknowingly and, and it's quite a quite a weird process to go through yeah. to realize what parts of your body can and can't feel pressure sores are a big issue so they can if you get a pressure sore on your bottom or and I've had a few in, in my time and they can get infected and mm. uh, yeah so they're a big, big thing to try and steer away from. Yeah.
2: So you go from having aspirations to being a sports star in the ideal world to not being able to walk and not having feeling from the chest down.
1: Yeah. It wasn't just the sports as well. No, it was a big one because it was more, I didn't have a career. So if you had a trade or something, like even tradesmen who end up with a spinal injury, they... They go through a lot of grief because they can't be a builder anymore. Mm, right. um, so so I'm, I'm going through the grief of I'm losing all the things that I could do. Yeah, my dreams of being any sort of career, Just I had to reset really. I had yeah. to just go, well, what do I do now? And um, so one night I was on the ward. So they moved me out of the ICU ward where you've got all these nurses running around you. And um, they moved me out onto the main ward. And it was quite quiet. You don't have nice, all the nurses running around. So even a little bit of spit going down your lung, yeah, you can nearly choke on it. So it was quite Mm. a very scary time. And it was dark one night. And uh, I'm going through all this grief, so much grief. I've never felt grief like that. The only way I could explain it is like I was falling down a really dark well. Mm. And I I was just crying out for help. And uh, it was that real salient time where I cried out to God. And I said, well, God, if if you're there, and um, prior to that, I guess before my injury, I was actually going back to church and mm-hmm. with my mum, yeah. and uh, I'd be on my knees the whole time back at the Catholic church, and and I'd just be crying, calling out for God, crying out for God, where where are you, God? And and I think that that really search for God, like a lot of people say that. I just found God as to appease my like the atheists actually say things like you know, you 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 just found God to make yourself feel better that there's a a higher being but it mm-hmm. wasn't the case. So actually, I was really looking seriously for God mm-hmm. before my accident because the love of these young Christian people around me, I just saw so real yeah. that there was there was something greater in these people, mm-hmm. these young people who love me. There was there was something more than what I grew up with, there was something more and I just, I knew it was God. So um, anyway, my poor old mum probably thought I was on drugs, <laughs> and uh, thought what was wrong with Glenn, maybe thought I had a psychological problem. Anyway, I was, um, I really cried out to God at that moment and the best way i can explain is like God put his hand under me and he spoke to me and he said, Glenn, I've got you. Hmm. And, and, I, and I just started crying. I just, um, that's when I found Jesus. So I just knew there was a God in heaven. I actually, I actually felt like jumping out of the bed and running around the ward to go. there is a God, you know. And, and I was so excited. But it was, yeah. it was. I, I sort of opened my eyes because I was crying so bad. So oh. my tears of, of, of um, real tears of grief and despair just turned into tears of joy and mm-hmm. happiness. Yeah, I, I wanted to seriously like the the paralyzed man who got healed on the steps, mm-hmm. and he jumped for joy. That was me. I, I wanted to. Run around and, and tell everyone there is a God in heaven. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: from the outside, there would look like no reason to rejoice. You know, your no. body is not what it used to be. It's it's hurting and it's not working like it used to. But yet, yeah. emotionally, you're jumping for joy.
1: Yeah. It's a very depressing place. I can't. So once you get up and going, like you're pretty much laying on your back. I was in traction for three months. Mm hmm so it was a very horrific time um so i got a lot of joy god gave me the gift of joy i guess or Mm. uh, i just just had a joy and just people would tell me sad stories and i'd start laughing it just was like a coping mechanism god gave me Mm. to cope with the amount of grief that was in in that hospital yeah so i would just laugh and uh and i'd have to apologize sometimes to the people telling me i'd say look i'm really sorry what's going on but i it's just uh, something God's done in my life to make me cope with what, what what's around me at the moment. Mm. And so I just laugh at things. And, and that, that carried on my whole life pretty much. Right even up to now, I still laugh at... at like I'll fall out of my wheelchair and start laughing. Huh. So it's just this gift of joy God's given me to not get anxious about things and, and realize that He's in control. And, mm. and I just laugh at how funny maybe that would have looked if someone saw me f- falling out of my wheelchair Wow, so God just gave you that joy deep down in your heart,
2: despite situation that would, would look like it shouldn't have any joy. But we're going to have to stop it right there, because unfortunately, we've run out of time for this first conversation with you. Glenn, can we invite you to join us again next time to hear more of your story? Yep, sure. No worries.
0: It's, it's a pleasure. Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo having a chat with Glenn Cairns from Orange in New South Wales. We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Glenn's story. Sadly, as we just heard, he became a quadriplegic when he was in Papua New Guinea. But also, we heard how the Lord entered his life at his lowest point in the hospital and gave him an unexplainable peace and joy. The Bible talks about the peace of God which transcends all understanding and how it guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Well, it sounds like that is exactly what happened to Glenn in the hospital, and he was experiencing a supernatural peace that passes all understanding. But as we'll hear next time, God has a lot more in store for Glenn as his life continues and he faces one setback after another. But he just keeps on serving the Lord with amazing results. Well, how about you? Have you had a tragedy in your life, whether physical or emotional, and you're really seeking that peace and joy that came into Glenn's life? We'd love to pray with you about this. Our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray with you on that number again, 1-800-772-936. Please give us a call and have a chat with one of our prayer team members. Well, until next time, when we'll hear part two of Glenn's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. There was a heroin
1: addict that we were helping support. He used to come to a home group that we used to run and it was down from a group home they used to stay in. And they would steal from you if they saw you, but they'd see me and they'd go, how can I help you Glenn?" They just saw me as someone who was worse off than they are. So they were very compassionate towards me. And and so that opened the door for me to be able to minister to them
0: and, and pray with them. Glenn Cairns joins us once again to share more of his story. He was 19 years old and living in Papua New Guinea when a tragic event occurred and he became a quadriplegic. However, at his lowest point in the hospital, he became a Christian and God has been using him in remarkable ways ever since. We'll hear more of Glenn's inspiring story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.